This episode of the Local Hustlers podcast is brought to you by Audible. If you're listening to this podcast right now, then I'm going to assume that you would also enjoy listening to audiobooks. Whether you're interested in business, history, comedy, science fiction, or romance, Audible has thousands of titles for you to choose from. We want you to try out Audible for free, so if you head to our link, you'll get a 30-day free trial and a free book. So go to audibletrial.com slash local hustlers podcast to redeem your trial today. Again, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial.com slash local hustlers podcast. You're listening to the Local Hustlers Podcast, your go-to source for connecting with small businesses and entrepreneurs in the East Valley. Get ready to be inspired by local entrepreneurs as they share their stories, mindset, best tips, and advice. And now, your co-hosts, Dallin and Eric Huso. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Local Hustlers podcast. This week, we're super excited to be here with Bryce Shervin with Pastry Unicorn. How's it going, Bryce? Good. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Take a few minutes, and before we dive into the business, just give us a bit of a background on your life. Yeah, so I am originally from Denver, Colorado. I grew up in kind of the suburbs around it, spent most of my youth diving into the city because everything in the suburbs closes at 9 p.m., and Growing up, I just wanted more. Yeah. So yeah, grew up in Denver. Um, I moved out to Arizona about two years ago. This is my third summer here. So I moved right at the beginning of the summer uh, in the, the height of the heat. And it was just a fun way to start my Arizona experience. Can't think of a worse time to come out here, right? It really was. What brought you out to Arizona? I have a little bit of family out here. My sister moved to Mesa about five years ago. And she has a daughter who is now three and a half. And so I just knew that I wanted to be closer to her. I knew that I didn't want to stay in Denver the rest of my life and not experience living somewhere else. So I wanted to be close to her and I chose Arizona. Cool. What were you doing for work or for school before you moved out here? I was working in catering. I have most of my, um, most of my restaurant experience is in restaurants and catering, um, bakeries, coffee shops, bread bakeries, things like that. So I've always kind of been in the industry. Okay. So like you said, you've always been in or around the industry. So how did you stumble upon it in the first place? Yeah. So I was working in sales for a little while when I was like 19 and 20. And I kept going back and forth on like going to college, not staying in sales and retail for the rest of my life. Like, what do I do? I've always enjoyed baking and I've always kind of had an affinity for it. And I always thought that baking would just be a hobby. And I just kept telling myself that it was just a hobby and I didn't want to burn out on it or get sick of it or kind of ruin that passion that I had for it. Um, So one day I just kind of randomly went onto the Art Institute's website and did one of those like, fill this out for more information. And of course, that day I got a phone call. They were like, come in for a tour. And then two days later, I was like enrolled as a student. It all happened very fast. And what was the name of the school? The Art Institute. The Art Institute. Yep. Okay. Okay. And is that kind of like a culinary school? Yeah. So the Art Institute had three branches. One was animation. One was some sort of like audio visual. And then there was a culinary branch. And so the culinary school was actually separate from like the formal college. And so you had to go to a different building at a different location altogether. And it was just you know, labs and um, seminars, basically. Yeah. What was your experience like going to a culinary school? It was interesting. It it was a mix of 
people that were, you know, 18, 19 year olds that just graduated high school and they're like, I like to cook. I'll just be a chef. And they don't normally last as long. The, um, the Art Institute sadly didn't have like the best graduation rate. And I think a lot of that was just because of people that thought that it would be easy to go to culinary school, get some sort of college degree and be a chef. And then you, you learned that it was so much harder than that. And there was so much more work that went into it. And then there were people like me that kind of danced around what to do with our lives for several years. And then we're like, okay, like I'm in it. I'm interested. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, and a lot of the people that were like me were older. There were a lot of people that were like, I'm 35 to 40 and I was an accountant and I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So did you find that having more intentional goals helped you to have a better experience from the program then? I think so. And I think a lot of it was having those that drive, having those goals really helped you kind of push through the hard classes or the hard weeks or the very difficult instructors that you might have and that you have to kind of understand that they're teaching you maybe in a tough way for a benefit or whatever. So you had a bunch of restaurant experience prior to going to culinary school. And then you went to school. Um, how did how did your experience working in the field compare to your experience in the culinary school? Did you did it open up your eyes to how things could have been in the restaurant industry, or is it pretty much aligned what what your experience was in the real world versus what they were teaching in school? So I actually had very little professional experience before I went to culinary school. Um, I had some experience working in a coffee shop. There was a shop in Denver that I worked at for like five years as their baker. Um, but other than that, I was pretty much a home baker. I was self-taught. So I was making cookies and pies just at home for fun. And that's when I realized, you know, I really enjoy this. So it wasn't until after I graduated did I start taking on the, the full kind of like professional chef culinary roles. And at that point, was it pretty much what you would imagine based off what you learned in culinary school? Or is it pretty different than what you had originally thought? It was a little bit of both. It School really kind of like sets you up to this idea that the culinary world is, how do I explain this? It's like every restaurant is the French laundry. Every restaurant is a linea when like sometimes you just work at a pub and you're just, you fry French fries and like you make club sandwiches and that's, for some people that's fulfilling enough. Um, But they, they kind of give you this idea that like, everyone's going to be working in this like five star or like three Michelin star restaurant when that's not even always necessarily the case. But as far as like kind of the, the chef mindset that they kind of set you up with that this is what you should be expecting. Like that was for the most part, very true. Like you'll hear from other people in the industry. They'll say like, that's just how the industry is. Um, And that sadly was pretty true. Um, was there any benefit from like the business side of things that you learned at culinary school in terms of like how to start your own business or is it more just focused on like the technique and the, you know, the chef aspect of it? Most of my education was kind of technique based, um, but I did have to take a class in order to graduate. That was kind of the culmination of everything that I've learned in order to get the associate's degree. You take 
um, costing classes and food and beverage classes and management leadership classes. And so all of those were something that were super helpful to me when starting the business. Like when I had to, when, when I was graduating, I took this whole class and I don't even, I think it was called portfolio review or something. And you basically start a business from the ground up. You have to literally come up with a concept and a name. You have to find a location for it and cost out what the rent in that area costs. Like you go online and figure out how many tables and chairs you need and, and curtains and decorations and you cost the whole thing out and you go through the labor and the menu and it was just such a process that when I actually started my business and I kind of just dove into it I didn't do a lot of that stuff I was really just like flying by the seat of my pants like just trying to trying to make it happen um but I know that all of those things that I took were helpful to me like costing a recipe I was like I got this I've done this yeah they show you like the proper way to do it. Yes, things, yes, they do. Which is important, but in reality, sometimes you're just, you know, doing whatever you can to get by and get started. That's pretty much the entirety of culinary school. It's like yeah. they're going to show you the proper way to do it, and then you actually get a job, and they're like, don't, no, nobody does that. Don't do that. This yeah. is how we do it here. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time, you know, while you're in culinary school, right after graduating, did you have any um, plans or thoughts on opening your own business, or were you just uh, planning on, you know, going and being a chef somewhere? I knew that someday I wanted to have my own place, but I also knew that I, at freshly 22, was not in the position to be starting my own business. Um, so I had a friend who I had worked with previously who was looking for someone to work with her in pastry and catering. And so um, that was a nice connection, and she is still a really good friend of mine. And so that was a great way to kind of get my foot in the door in the culinary industry. And this was all still up in Denver? Yes. Cool. Um, and then what kind of happened between then and, I guess, moving from Denver and, and getting into a position where you were wanting to open up on your own? Well, I decided to move, like I said, I decided to move to Arizona to be closer to family. Um, I was just kind of done with Denver. I had just gotten out of a divorce my life was in this super weird point of turmoil and I was just like I'm done with this city like I just need to get out so it was a little bit of an escape and a little bit just like trying to be closer to something else um so yeah then I moved here and I only worked in the industry out here in catering for like nine months and then the pandemic happened and then I had to kind of figure out my own way in this city that I was still very unfamiliar with what, what was that like? So did you, um, were you out of a job when COVID hit? Were you still able to work? Or what was your kind of mindset going into that situation? Yeah, I was out of a job when COVID hit. And the owner of the company that I worked for had brought everyone in and really individually, like very graciously, she handled it so well because we knew once those limitations started hitting where you couldn't have a gathering more than 50 people, we were like, we have no, there's nothing. We have no work here. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of knew that there was a good chance that either everyone or a lot of people within the company would be laid off. So then once it actually started happening, um, she was very good about it. She was just super kind. And she actually kind of gave us the idea that we would be back to work within a couple months. Um, And that, of course, didn't end up being the case. But it wasn't too long into the pandemic and the 
the being unemployed that I decided that I just, I just needed to pay my bills. So I was like posting on Facebook, like, Hey, you guys, please buy muffins from me. I was selling a dozen for like $5. Like I had no concept of like what the actual cost would be. I just like needed to make some money so that I could pay my bills. And that was kind of like the conception of the business in like the least formal way possible. True hustler. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of because I was wondering, you know, what your mindset was going into an industry or being in an industry where everything was shutting down, um, you lose your job, and then to decide that you're going to start your own business. But it started from just, you know, a need to, to just pay those bills, essentially. It was sheer necessity. Yeah. I, I had bills to pay, and I was trying to find other work, but of course everything was shutting down so quickly uh-huh. that I, I felt like I didn't really have a whole lot of other options if I still wanted to earn my own money. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did that go? Was there like, did you have a lot of people reaching out and wanting to buy things from you? Was it like a slow, gradual process or was there just like a light bulb moment where you realized that you needed to take this and turn it into a real business? It all kind of happened in waves. So originally I got a lot of people, of course, that wanted to support me. They'd heard about what happened and a lot of them were still friends that were in Colorado. So I found myself at the post office a lot with boxes that were just like packed with like muffins and banana bread. And I, the whole period of me making those things out of my home, like in the first month or two, I'm certain that I actually lost most of my money because what I would charge. And then I wasn't accommodating the right shipping price and then I'd go to the post office and they're like it's $60 and I was like okay this order was only 40 to begin with and suddenly I was just like okay well I already said that I would do it um but it kind of came in waves where people were interested and supportive and like I said a lot of them were out of state and then I kind of hit a lull and then it kind of reached the people out here just through word of mouth of my coworkers. Um, and friends. And so it, it at one point got to where someone reached out to me that I didn't even know. And they're like, Hey, are you doing anything for Easter? And I was like, I am now. And so I ended up um, making a cheesecake for her and she loved it so much that she was like, you need to just start a business. And so I did. That's really cool. Yeah. Talk to us about that. Uh, so this is the initiation then of Uh, your business yeah Uh, did she mentor you through this or did she just plant the seed you need to start a business and then you took it from there what was that like she yeah she really just said this is the best cheesecake I've ever had why aren't you doing this as a business like don't go back to somebody else like you need to just start selling these because you'll make so much money off of them Um, and it stayed into a, a it stayed in a pretty tight circle for a while it was all word of mouth it was friends of friends um it was someone posting hey my old coworker is making cheesecakes like please just buy one um and slowly it just kind of snowballed where my partner and my roommate was like are you just gonna start the business now or are you just gonna keep random like on the deal making cheesecakes for people and i was like i'm not ready to start a business like i don't I don't know enough. I remember looking at my roommate. She's a business consultant. And she said, you don't have to know everything. You just need to be able to problem solve as you go. And I know that you can do that because we'd worked together in the past. So she really helped mentor me through the, the 
starting of a business process. That's really cool. Do you mind just diving into uh, that mindset of not needing to know everything and just, you know, being able to adjust on the go? Like where, where else you might have seen that successful in your life? It's, um, it's a terrifying mindset. And sometimes I feel like I'm the one that's playing too fast and loose with like, I don't know everything. And it turns out that I don't have to. Um, I, I still find it to this day that I will get weird requests or, and I, I'm at that point right now in my business where I'm still just accepting everything, everything. So someone was like, can you make me a blueberry pie? And I was like, well, yeah, sure. Like it's not something that I normally make, but I know how to make it. And it was one of those things where that, that one specifically was not this way, but I definitely had some orders where I very much had to learn as I go. Um, in the early days of the business, I had, again, just like a friend of a friend reach out to me. She was like nine months pregnant, like ready to go. And she was like, oh, I want a cheesecake for my dad's birthday that's coming up. And then she just kept messaging me like, do you make donuts? I was like, well, I can. So she'd order like four donuts. And she'd be like, do you make biscotti? I was like, well, I know how to make biscotti. And that was kind of one of the harder learning moments of like, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I delivered her a, a cheesecake and um, six biscotti and four cookies and two scones and like just this very random smattering of things because it's what she wanted. And I was like, yeah, for sure, I can do that. So think back on, you know, when you got started you feel like your roommate was right that you know you don't need to know everything were there a few things that you maybe wish you would have known in terms of like starting a business that now you know looking back like if someone would have told me this or if I would have known this before this would have been a lot easier to get started a lot of the things that I wish that I knew more about are the the bookkeeping sides and the Mm -hmm. um the the desk work that I call it um accounting taxes um, all of that very adult stuff that I really didn't know anything about. I had to learn super quickly. Um, the rest of it was easier as far as like the formal stuff that you need for a business, licenses and stuff. You can right. just Google what you need. But as far as like how to actually properly account for paying yourself and what your labor should cost and how to build that into the cost of an item, I, I had an idea but in reality, it was a lot harder. And so that was definitely one of those things that I, I wish I had known. Right. Um, but a lot of the things that I still don't know, I just I just learn as I go. I recently brought on an employee. She's super part-time. And everything that I thought that I knew about management and leadership is like challenged every day just because I start to second-guess myself. Like, is this right? Am I Am I telling her the right thing? Am I going to change my mind in five minutes and look like an asshole? Can I say that? Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> For sure. So uh, you, you brought on an employee. Talk to us about uh, the decision-making process to, to do that because that's a big step for an entrepreneur. It like is. They, it's huge. Like that's, for many uh, small business owners, for many entrepreneurs, that's as big as a step as starting the business. Yes. Because most are solopreneurs, right? Yes. For, for a long time and letting go. Talk to us about what that was like for you to make that decision, to act on that decision, and and how you came to that. I knew from the start that 
if I was going to start a business that I was just going to dive in and I was going to do it and I was going to commit to it. And I went in a hundred percent. So I knew that as the business grew, I would have to bring on an employee. Uh, and I knew who it was from the start because we'd worked together at the catering company that I was at. She was a pastry chef that worked with me. Um, and she, would always tell me how she wants to go into culinary school and how she just wants to learn pastry um, because she's also self-taught. And I just told her, don't go to culinary school. I told her, work for me. I'll teach you everything you need to know. Um, And it was this constant kind of drive to take on as much business as I single-handedly could manage and produce comfortably. And then when I'm at my wit's end, was when I was like, okay, is 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 it right? Are the numbers right? Can I afford to pay someone? What can I afford to pay them? Is it a livable wage? And finally, I was able to tell her, like, I can bring you on part-time, and that's it right now, but there's room to grow. And basically, I knew that as soon as I brought her on, I would be able to just continue accepting more and taking more on. Yeah. And so it's just been this this process of since she came on I just keep taking more and more on and I am starting to finally kind of level myself out where there's a lot of work to do but now there's two of us and I can finally kind of validate it because when I first brought her on all like all of my extra money was like going into her labor like I wasn't paying myself anything Um, and I think that that's pretty normal for small business owners when they have employees or even just one who's part-time like everything went back into just making sure she got her paycheck so that I would see her next week yeah it's definitely a risk to bring on that first employee especially and uh, they're taking a risk on joining a new business yes taking a risk on on them as well and paying them that money that obviously in the end is going to be super beneficial but right at first you might not always see the the benefits right away it's terrifying yeah um being such a terrifying decision was it did it take you a long time to come to terms with that that you were going to do? Or were you pretty set on, you know, as soon as it was possible, you're going to hire this person? I knew that as soon as it was possible, I was going to hire her because I knew that I could only do so much outside of the production itself. You know, there's farmer's markets that you have to go. That takes six hours of your day, eight hours, depending on the market that you go to. That's basically an entire work day. Um, and that was a hard thing to kind of, put into my own mind is that just because I wasn't producing in a kitchen didn't mean I wasn't working because I would be doing the bookkeeping and the marketing and the social media and the advertisements and all of that other stuff answering emails so even though I was only in the kitchen 30 24 to 30 hours a week I was still working 60 hours at home on the computer and so I I knew that if I could bring her up to 30 hours 40 hours a week like we could do so much. And how did you decide, you know, who would be doing what and what tasks you would give to her and what tasks you wanted to make sure that you were still doing? I've been pretty lucky with that because I, we, I know what she's capable of. We've worked together in the past. So I know what her skill level is and I've been able to kind of grow her as well which has been great so when it started it was really simple stuff it would be like make this cake batter put it in the oven I will decorate it and now it's like okay there's a cake this weekend here's what it needs to look like just get it done which has been great because she's only been with me since April 
but she's she learns so fast she's such a quick learner um and taking on things like french macarons which are finicky and not always cooperative was a big risk for me because they're an expensive product and they take a lot of time and if she made a batch and they didn't turn out that's basically half a day wasted and all of this money that is like there goes all my almond flour that I had for the week like there goes my food cost um but I just I had confidence in her and I told her I know you can do this and she she did she's been great that's beautiful I love your your uh, <clears throat> embracing that leadership role and mentoring her trusting her I mean I I've heard you say that you You've kind of given her the reins, right? You you yeah. showed her what to do, and now you're not micromanaging her and making sure that she's following everything exact. You've you've given her a level of trust, and she's responded to that. Was that normal and natural for you to do that, or did you have to make conscious decisions to to step back and let go and not micromanage her? It was definitely a conscious decision. I never really thought of myself as the type of person to micromanage because I've been in the position where I was the one that was micromanaged and I didn't feel like I was the one that was being trusted by my own superiors. And so I always said, if I, you know, if I ever start my own business, when I get my own employees, like I'm never going to do this. And then I had a really hard time. Um, and I still do. I have to, you know, kind of check, make sure everything's good. Like nothing's falling apart. And then I just leave her alone because I know that if she has a question, she'll come to me. Um, and I think that that helps a lot too. It's, it's really a, a two way street with us. If, if she has a question, she'll ask me, yeah. I don't need to hover. And there's something about when you're the employee, when you know that your, your boss or whoever your employer has um, confidence in you and trust in you that it just, you know, elevates your performance even more to know that they trust you to do the right thing. It makes you want to you know, prove them right basically. Yeah, so for sure. That she sees that as well. Yeah. Do you find yourself spending more time cleaning your pool than you spend swimming in it? Then you need to get in touch with Flamingo Pools. Flamingo Pools is your go-to swimming pool maintenance and repair company in the East Valley. Whether it's weekly maintenance, repairs, green-to-cleans, or one-time cleanings, Flamingo Pools is there to take care of you. Here's a few things that makes Flamingo Pools stand out from the crowd. When you first sign up for service, they'll give you a free complimentary inspection of the pool to make sure everything is running smoothly. They'll also email you a service report with a picture attached after every visit so you know when your pool has been cleaned. They also offer a mineral treatment, which will keep your chemical levels down, allowing you to have a healthier bathing experience. At Flamingo Pools, they know that your pool was made to be enjoyed, so let them handle the rest. Check them out at azflamingopools.com or give them a call at 480-422-6013. Mention this podcast and get your first month of weekly maintenance free. That's azflamingopools.com and 480-422-6013. I'm super curious to hear about the name Pastry Unicorn, where that came from. So the name came from culinary school. Um, in that kind of portfolio building class where you had to come up with a business concept from the ground up, you also had to um, come up with your own business cards, like personal business cards to hand out to potential employees at graduation because they always invited the chefs from local restaurants that was like, look at our new graduates if you're looking for a wine cook. Um, and we weren't allowed to call ourselves chefs because according to 
my instructor of that class, if you weren't um, ACF certified, you couldn't call yourself a chef. And I was like, that's really stupid. And so a lot of people went with like culinarian um, or things of kind of that general generic realm. And I I just kind of sat on it and I was like, I don't want to call myself a culinarian. That's so boring. And I wanted something kind of magical and whimsical that still got the point across. And so I decided on pastry unicorn and I brought the proof of the business card to my instructor for that class before I ordered them. And she looked at it and she was like, a unicorn? I I just don't think that you're going to get any job offers with that kind of title. Don't you want something more professional? And I was like, no, this is what I want. And she was like, if you're sure. And so I did it and I had a job offer before I even graduated. Wow. So that was a fun that has always been my kind of anecdote of just like stick to your guns, like be yourself, just stay true to what you believe in. Um, and that nickname stuck with me for years. So when it came time to start the business and I was like, what do I call this thing? It was yeah. an easy choice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how has that name influenced the business and influenced the the products that you do? Is there any correlation between Pastry Unicorn and kind of how you market and, and the type of uh, products that you're producing yeah the the marketing is very heavily influenced by the name um one of the i guess kind of taglines for the business is food magic and that actually happened by total accident i was building the website and when you're filling out the the website and you have the seo you can do kind of like a shortened version that'll show up and so i just typed in food magic real quick because i needed to fill the box and then i just kept plowing through you know, the, the business website building process and it stuck and it just started making sense. Um, so I've always kind of played on that idea of food magic and unicorn and all of that very fun, whimsical stuff. And interestingly enough, the things that I make aren't necessarily influenced by the idea of food magic or being a unicorn or whatever. Like it's just they just make sense together. The things that I make are because I want to make them and I think that they would be good. And I think they just happen to fall into that food magic category. Mm-hmm. I do want to get into the, the sort of stuff that you do make. Before we do that, though, so you mentioned marketing. Um, do you have any specific you know, marketing tactics or techniques that you use to get customers? No. <laughs> no. Uh, for a while, I was like riding real hard on doing like Instagram ads and Facebook ads and marketing is really hard. Um, and so I just kind of stick with the basics and it's worked really well for me so far. A lot of people see unicorn and they at least want to come check it out. So that's something that was a blessing in disguise that I was not anticipating. I, I was expecting people to be like a unicorn, like who does she think she is? Um, and instead it's been very well, very well received, very positive. That's cool. Um, and so you don't have like your own storefront, correct? Correct. So tell us about, you know, what your different avenues are of, of selling pastries. Yeah. So I produce in a commissary kitchen, so I'm fully licensed. I went through all of that stuff. Um, but I don't have a formal storefront. It's something that I'm working on, but I'm not there yet. Um, I sell, I won't say primarily at farmer's markets, but that is kind of my biggest audience. I'm at two farmer's markets. Um, 
I'm at two coffee shops. There's a local grocer that I have some stuff in. I do online orders. Um, one of the coffee shops is actually Peixoto. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Um, there's Buddha's Brew in Mesa. So I have different menus for all of those things. And so the farmer's market gets something different than the coffee shops, okay. um, which does end up being a little bit more work on my end and kind of drives me crazy sometimes. I'm like, why did I do this? Um, but in the end, it kind of drives people to go to different locations. Like I have people who will drive to Peixoto on Monday and then drive to the community grocer on Wednesday and then come see me at the farmer's market on Saturday. Like I, they're very loyal and I love them for that. Wow. But I, it always just surprises me. Like you don't expect anyone to care about your business as much right. as you do, but they exist. Yeah. So you mentioned you're wanting a restaurant. Were you were you wanting to start off like kind of slower and in, in getting into other places, or if you had the chance, would you have opened a restaurant right away? Like, did you see you know benefits of starting this way? I actually didn't even want a bakery storefront uh-huh. um, at all when I started the business. Uh-huh. Excuse me. I didn't see myself being the type of business where you would like walk into a bakery and it's super cute and you can buy a cupcake and a cookie. Like that's just not how I roll. Like that's not my style. And I didn't feel like there was room for anything else. And so I just told myself that I didn't want a bakery. I didn't want a storefront. Um, And then as time progressed, I realized that there was room for something else. And so as I'm working towards this storefront, it still won't be like walk in and buy a cupcake. Like it'll be cheesecakes and entremet and like more high end, but approachable, like bougie on a budget, I guess, is kind of how I like to describe some of the things that I make. Like they're a little bit maybe more advanced in technique of how they're produced, but they're still approachable. Like you shouldn't be scared to buy one because you can't pronounce a name in it or something. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk to us about some of the pros and cons of, of you know, like the farmer's market or being in uh, a coffee shop and how those have, have worked out for you so far? They've all been really great. And when I started in the community kitchen, um, that's run by Local First Arizona. And so there's someone who works for Local First that's available in the kitchen to just kind of help you and guide you and answer questions. And one of the first things that he said to me was that I needed multiple streams of income so from a business owning standpoint even though it's a lot of work to supply to coffee shops and do custom orders and do farmers markets it makes the most sense financially as well because even though you might have a slow month at the farmers market you still have all of this other stuff and from an actual like marketing and just reaching people standpoint it's been really great because a lot of people maybe their schedules don't work they can't go to farmers markets or for whatever reason they don't make it on saturdays or whatever but they'll go to a coffee shop Mm -hmm. um and that's just kind of another way that i can reach people and and meet them and i always tell people um if i talk to them online like if you ever see me please introduce yourself because i always i want to know them Talk to us about creating the relationship with the coffee shops. Was that uh, you reaching out to them? Did they get a hold of uh, some of your pastries at the farmer's market and they reached out to you? Talk to us about uh, the genesis of those relationships with Peixoto and, and Buddhist. They were both different. So with Peixoto, I'd actually been following them on Instagram for some time. 
And then they reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we're looking to wholesale some breakfast pastries. Is that something you offer? Are you interested? So I got to kind of go in um, and meet the manager and, and talk to them and learn more about them, which was great because I'd been kind of like a low-key Peixoto fangirl for a while. Um, I happened upon them in uh, October of 2016, maybe, like sometime before I even moved out here um, because I was coming to visit my sister. The baby was due and I was told she lived in Mesa and I was just driving around the city. I was totally lost. I just knew I wanted to get coffee and I just hopped online and I looked for the nearest coffee shop and it's like, I don't know how to pronounce this. I don't even know where I am. What's Chandler? And I just went in and bought a bag of coffee um, and it was great. And I, they were so memorable that I remembered them. So when they reached out to me, I was like, oh my God. Oh, Peixoto. And I like had a weird like fangirl moment where I felt like I was talking to a star. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was awesome. They've been really great. I've been able to do some special weekend menus for them for holidays um, where I'll kind of produce a special menu that might be a little more upscale than what you might usually get from a coffee shop. Um, And yeah, they've been wonderful. And then for Buddha... Buddha's Brew is in Mesa, and they're right across the street from the kitchen that I use. So I just walked in one day, and I said, hey, I noticed that you don't have pastries. Do you want some? And it just kind of happened very naturally. Um, They are attached to a tattoo shop, and so the owner of the coffee shop and they're co-owners of the tattoo shop as well. Um, and they're all about just community and all of that stuff that I also care about. And so it was a really natural relationship to build with them as well. And was it hard to, I guess, like negotiate a deal with, with either of them or is it, is it pretty simple to, you know, now that you know more about your pricing to, to decide, you know, how much you're going to charge wholesale versus right. custom order. Right. So, Wholesale is pretty straightforward if you kind of know the the magic um, formula of like where you should land cost wise, like with your food costs and um, all of that. And honestly, that was my first, Peixoto was my first kind of in with a local business. Yeah. And I just, I just wanted it so bad that I was like, I, I was like, I'll do it for anything. <laughs> um, and so it, it was super easy with them. It was really straightforward. I said, here's my costs. And they said, great. Um, and then Buddha wasn't until a year or so later. I started there in December of 2020 and their fee structure is actually a little bit different. They're not wholesale. It's more of like a, uh, like a consignment. Yep. Yeah. So based off of sales, you know, they keep a percentage. I keep a percentage. Um, and it just worked out that kind of the number that we were both thinking was the same number. And so there was really no negotiating there. Um, and a lot of it is, isn't even for me to make a profit. Like I'm not trying to make millions off of muffins. I just, I just want to be able to reach more people. Yeah. And is your product branded as a pastry unicorn within those, both those stores or they, do they white label it and, and sell it as their own? No, it's, it's branded. So at Peixoto, at least during the pandemic, everything was uh, prepackaged and labeled. Um, and they've kind of cut that back a little bit, which is great because it, I'm, I'm trying to package more eco-friendly these days. I go through a lot of plastic 
and it makes me pretty sad. So, um, but they have a case and they'll just write the business name on it. It's like a big glass, they do glass markers and it's very cute. Um, and then with Buddha, it's not really white labeling and it's not really labeled itself. It's just kind of, if someone's like, these are amazing. They're like, thanks, Pastry Unicorn is across the street. So like, they're very, um, vocal supporters as yeah. well, even if it's not like on a piece of paper. And that's something I wanted to ask about, which you just touched on, where a lot of people stay away from wholesaling because you don't make as much money as you would on like a custom order. But is the branding aspect worth, you know, the the margins not being as high to have so many people going into these different coffee shops and, and seeing your, your brand there? Yeah, it's totally worth it, even if you may not be able to get that brand name on whatever you're producing. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you have a good relationship with that vendor, they're going to tell that client about it. So even though maybe every single person who gets a muffin, say from Buddha, doesn't know that it's from me, if somebody were to ask, they'd be more than happy to tell them. Um, and I've gotten custom orders from both of these places where my name may not be front and center, but they still reach out to me and they'll say, hey, I got this from Peixoto today and it was so delicious. And so I'm still making those connections. Yeah. I, I just think that you have to make sure that the vendor that you're building those connections with is on the same page as you. For sure. Do you have a preference, just like what you enjoy more, whether it's like, you know, making a bunch of muffins in bulk for, for a coffee shop or doing, you know, one custom order that takes a lot more of your time? I like, this is very specific, but this is my favorite and I haven't been able to do one in a long time. Um, and they don't necessarily have a name, but if you are familiar with Grant Ackett's at Alinea in Chicago, he does this whole, his final um, course is this like edible dessert scape on a table. Like he just plates everything on the table and you just get a spoon and you just kind of dig into it. Um, and I've been able to do a few of those. Those are my favorite. Anything that's very social. I yeah. Food is so social that I think anything that I can do to kind of encourage more people to come together and talk about it in whatever means necessary really is what I'm going to do. So those are my favorite. Cool, cool. Uh, well, why don't you tell us a bit about, you know, the pastries that you make and that you offer, whether someone's going to the coffee shop and wants to make a custom order or is going to come to a farmer's market on Saturday. Like what are some things that they can expect to see from you? Uh, at a coffee shop, they can expect to see pretty standard coffee shop fare. Um, muffin scones. Uh, I just started making brioche Danish. And so I took brioche dough, um, which is not normally like a laminated thing, like what is a croissant dough? And I turned it into a Danish. So it's just so buttery. It's delicious. Um, but even within like standard coffee shop fare, I still play with flavors a lot. So blueberry, blueberry lavender scones and like pineapple, orange, coconut, Danish, and things like that that you may not traditionally see. Like, it's not a blueberry muffin, and you won't right. see those from me. Um, and then as far as, like, the coffee shop go, I'm sorry, as far as, like, the farmer's markets go, it's a lot more playful. I, I really kind of dance on the edge of what's even possible to sit in a cooler in 100 degrees on a Saturday Sometimes I'm like dreaming up these menus and I have to think like, how can I actually make this? Like, how can I reasonably expect this to sit in a box in a cooler and still be good? Whereas I know that if I had a storefront, it would be a little easier. 
because it's just this nice temperature cooled, temperature controlled area. Um, but at coffee shops, you'll see a lot more cheesecakes. You'll see a lot more tarts. Um, I make French macarons. Those are something that you can always expect. And then I'll usually throw in something fun. Last month I did a cinnamon stout oatmeal cream pie and it had like a cream cheese marshmallow filling. Um, those are always really popular. Sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how you innovate. So that sounds like, uh, one of the, your passions with the baking is putting different flavors together and experimenting and, and seeing what, what, uh, just like, you know, explodes with different flavor combinations that you don't normally see. Yeah, for sure. That's something that I think that I've always kind of had a natural affinity for. I, I remember um, at a catering company in Colorado that I worked for, the owner would have meetings, and so we'd all be able to kind of play with the lunch that we would bring him and his guest. Um, and every now and then I would get that kind of skeptical, like, mm, I'm not sure about this, I don't know about this, um, but they'd always end up liking it. Uh, so I really have been able to kind of take that with my own freedom and just totally run with it. Yeah. yeah. Help our listeners visualize, because I've seen your Instagram and some of the, the crazy cool things that you've done, but help us, help people who haven't looked at your Instagram yet, uh, give us a couple examples of maybe some of the you know, crazy things that you sell at a farmer's market. Yeah, so this month, for example, July, I am doing a watermelon sugar pie, which was based entirely off of the Harry Styles name. I just dreamt it up and was like, I have to make this happen. So it's a tart that's made with a sablé dough, which is a very buttery kind of flaky crust that has lime zest in it. And then the filling is a watermelon lime filling. There's reduced chamoy, a little bit of tahine, candied lime, toasted meringue. Um, and that's something that you can buy from me at a farmer's market. That sounds really good. <laughs> I should have eaten before this. A few months ago, when I really decided to kind of break out of what I was doing previously, when I started at farmer's markets, I was a little bit more concerned with how to package it and how to sell it and how to be approachable. And then I realized as I kind of took baby steps away from that, that like there were people that were still following me on that very weird journey of like, are people going to eat this? Um, and so starting in January, I came out with this whole new menu. I did like a ube fruit tart. Um, and ube is a purple sweet potato. Um, and it was pretty trendy for a while and it's just a really good flavor. And so it was a, a tart with like a, just this bright purple ube filling and tropical fruits on top. And, um, it was wild and people loved it. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. Like, I think I can really play with flavors and presentations and not have people be like, this is too weird for us. Yeah, that's really cool. You mentioned towards the beginning that just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. So is there anything like as far as custom orders or that, you know, that you're making for people that you just, you won't touch? Um, yes. I don't work with fondant. I don't do it. It is honestly because of pure lack of skill. I've done two custom fondant cakes in my life so I just don't have a lot of experience with it and so it's something that if someone comes to me I just just a hard like I won't even try it because I know what people are expecting from me and I know that I won't be able to meet what they're looking for Mm -hmm. um but I'm happy to pass them off I have a few uh small business friends that are great they do great fondant cakes and so I'll send them their way 
Doesn't taste the best either. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you can do with fondant that are a lot harder with buttercream, and I think that that has a lot to do with it is the aesthetic of it all. Yeah. Um, but my aesthetic is just not that. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a favorite pastry that comes to mind that you've that you've made? All of them. They're all my babies. Um, I. I really like to be able to play in tarts and cheesecakes. You see those on every menu I make because I love them so much. Um, and so being able to kind of layer those up is just something that I really enjoy. One of the first cheesecakes that I did once I started to branch out in flavors uh, was an Earl Grey cheesecake. And so the crust was like this rosemary shortbread cookie crust. And then the cheesecake had the actual Earl Grey tea in it. There was like candied orange and lots of like... Uh, lavender notes in it and it was just this really kind of light like lovely mellow like rainy day kind of cheesecake um and so that one was a lot of fun i liked it a lot so it sounds like you're a very creative person and that you see a lot of success with the pastry that you make because of your creativity um, is there any other aspect of, of the business that the creativity has kind of come out and helped you see a bit of success because of just kind of your creative way of, of thinking and doing things i guess I guess so. I don't really think about whether or not the way that I'm operating is outside of the norm because that's just the way that I operate. Mm -hmm. I don't, unless I see a lot of like pushback, I don't really think like, oh, other people aren't doing this. I just think this is the way it is because it's the way that I've always been. So I guess that's kind of hard to answer yeah. because it's, it's just, so just it's just so natural. Well, the yeah. nice thing is you're running your own business and you're mentoring an employee. You've told her, hey, don't go to culinary school. Well, I will be <laughs> your culinary school. So you're mentoring somebody who's teachable and, and, and embraces your creativity. Yeah. There's no resistance there. So uh, you're set up for success to, to be creative. Yeah, she's she really is great. And she's been very helpful for me if I tell her I get this wild hair and I get this look in my eyes. I'm sure that's like, I thought about this thing that I want to make. And I'm sure she's like, Oh, here we go. But she's always super supportive and she's given me some ideas as well. Um, I, I think that I try to encourage her creativity as well. Um, whereas in the, the for the previous setting that we were in, it was a lot more formal. This is what you have to make this week. Um, whereas it's not that way with the business. Um, and so I actually have had to put a lot of trust in her. One of my more recent menu items was a Cracker Jack cheesecake. Um, and I can't eat corn. So I literally had to make this thing and say, I need you to taste this and tell me if it's good. Um, and she's just been super honest. She'll be like, this needs more salt or like, this is great or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, it's been great. That's cool. Well, I am really interested to hear kind of what the, the future plan is for pastry and corn. If you have, you know, set plans, like a five, 10 year goal, or if you're just kind of rolling with it and whatever happens, happens. I don't have anything as lofty as a five year goal. That's a little bit terrifying, honestly. <laughs> My anxiety spikes when I think about where I'll be in five years, because I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the fun of it too. If, if this lasts for five years, 10 years, I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Yeah. Like I'm in this. Um, I am working on a storefront. It's all very unofficial right now. I have a lot of other things in the works that will kind of help me fund the storefront. Um, But I also am just, I literally just got it today in the mail is a big 
like rolling cooler that looks kind of like a vintage ice cream cart. So I'm going to start doing like ice cream sandwiches with cookies, partnering with a local business who's doing the ice cream. Um, and so I'll be on the streets of Phoenix soon with those. And I'm super excited about those. That's cool. No, yeah, I love uh, just a reminder that there's no like one set piece of advice that's good for, for everyone. Cause so many business owners are so different where someone needs like a five year, 10 year plan and structure it out day by day, what they're going to do to reach those and other people. Um, they don't want to think about that for yeah. some reason or another and they just, you know, go with the flow. So, um, different advice is, is beneficial for different people. And that's why we love having so many different sorts of guests on the show, um, to share their perspective, share what they've learned so far. So really appreciate, you know, you coming on and everything you've been able to share with us for our listeners to hear today. Before we close up, if you just had, you know, one final piece of advice that you would give to our audience, what would it be? My advice, if you are thinking about starting a small business is to just go for it. I was not anticipating making it honestly through the the year that I started and I hit a year and I was like wow this is going great yeah my advice is to just just dive in just go for it if it's within your means to just take the leap then you should love it okay well as we close up we have a quick game that we're gonna play with you oh no (laughs) (laughs) so how it works is we've got a list of 20 questions that we're gonna ask you and you have a minute to answer as many of them as possible. Okay, I'm ready. Cool. So we will start in three, two, one. Your dream vacation. Italy. First thing you buy if you want a million dollars. A car. Your favorite hobby. Sleeping. If there was an Olympic competition for everyday activities, what activity would you have a good chance at winning another one? Sleeping. <laughs> a song you've been jamming to lately. Oh, um... Oh, no. Uh, it's by Dua Lipa. I can't remember what it's called. Okay. Um, if you live to be 100, would you rather have the mind or the body of your prime self? The body. Your favorite holiday? Christmas. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Favorite fictional character? Oh, no. I read a lot of vampire books, so sorry. <laughs> uh, favorite smell? Lavender. What's your nickname? Bryce. Um, pet peeve. Not rotating your food properly. Favorite restaurant? Oh, can I pass? <laughs> okay. If you could switch places with someone for a day, who would it be? And there's our standard, oh. but if you have an answer, we'll let you, let you get it. Dolly Parton. Cool, cool. Who mm. got uh, 13? Oh, man. So no favorite restaurant it's, from the show. So here's the hard part is that I... Have, I've only lived out here for two years, which is kind of a long time, but like not that long of a time. And so I haven't been able to try as many restaurants as I would like to. So I just don't know what's out here. What about in Denver? If, if anyone's over, I really like wings, like hot wings. Uh-huh. There's a really good spot in Denver called Grill and Wings and Things. And so they make wings kind of like normal, you know, fry them up, toss them in sauce, and then they finish them on the grill. So all those sugars like caramelize and you get like a smoky flavor. They're bomb. A lot of food talk today. (laughs) Um, So for all of our listeners that are also hungry right now and want to try some of your pastries, where can they uh, either connect with you, learn more about you, or come in and grab some of your pastries? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook and Instagram in person. I'm at Mesa Farmer's Market Phoenix Farmer's Market, um, Peixoto Coffee, Buddhist Brew, 
in Mesa, Main Street, Harvest in Mesa. I think that's it. For now. For now. And yes, you can always reach out to me. I do custom orders. I do custom cakes for birthdays and weddings, and I've done all of them. So yeah. Just don't ask for fondant. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, and then I know you had a, a little special offer for our listeners, so do you want to mind, mind um, explaining that real quick? Yeah. So if you just mentioned that you uh, heard me here and listened through all of this awesome podcast, um, I'll do 10% off of a custom order. So you have to order it directly through me, whether it be um, a cake or a dozen custom macarons or whatever you're looking for. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Bryce, for coming on. Uh, we really enjoyed you having on, you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, well, we'll catch you all next week. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Just a few things before we go. First off, if you or someone you know is an entrepreneur in the East Valley, we'd love to have you on the show. Please get in touch with us by emailing us at localhustlerspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at localhustlerspodcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for the latest news and updates. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please take a few seconds to rate and review and hit that subscribe button. It lets us know how we're doing. It helps us grow so we can reach more locals, entrepreneurs, and help small businesses grow. Thanks, guys.